I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following podcast is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. Survival Podcast. As the introduction said, I am your host, Nate, and today joining me is a fellow member of the Journey into Comics Network. You folks know her mainly from Foodies Watching Movies. She also debuted a new show called Brews with Babes during our April Fool's Week. Uh, She's my good friend, who I've known officially a year, I think we just discussed. Welcome to the show, Lauren. How's it going? It's going good. So, uh, do you remember the first time we met? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go a little from my perspective, and then I want to bounce back to the other side of this. So Veronica's moving, obviously. Yeah. And she's got a dresser. And she's like, I want to just get rid of this fucking thing. I hate it. I don't want it around me. Like, I don't... just Even though it's a beautiful piece. Yeah, but it's just bad vibes, right? Yeah. And you know how that goes. So she, I think, put it on Facebook or something. Like, I'm trying to get rid of this dresser. Yeah, but I feel like she messaged me and just kind of like asked me specifically if I wanted it. That might have been the fact because maybe you had mentioned to her, like, didn't you guys have yeah. breakfast or something like yeah, right around that yeah, same yeah, time yeah. too? And I told her that I really needed a dresser. So she's like, hey, um, when you go home tonight, can you do me a small favor? And I was like, yes, like, of course I will. I'll do anything for you. What can I do? And she goes, okay, well, I need you to drop this dresser off at my friend's house. I was like, okay, cool. It's pretty heavy, so I'm going to need your help getting it downstairs. Her and I carry it downstairs. We load it into the truck, and we hang out for a bit, and then I go on my way to your location, have it in my GPS. Now, it was a long day. We had been moving stuff and doing other things in the lead-up to this. So, like, my end goal was just, like, I'm going to come home. I'm going to take off my fucking shoes. I might smoke a little bit of weed and just chill out, you know, and just forget about my stupid, dumbass day. So that's my mindset when I'm driving to your house. And okay, so I get there and I'm like, okay, cool. So I knock on the door and I don't think, 
anybody heard me or I wasn't really sure what the situation was. So I'm like, okay. So I get back in the truck. I text V. I'm like, hey, I'm here. Can you let your friend know that I'm like chilling out back here, just hanging kind of in my truck? And it was like probably another four or five minutes. And then you came out and I was like, hi. And I realized that you were, you had a cane. And I was like, okay, you're not going to be able to help me move a fucking thing. Like there's no way. So it's so incredible though, that I was, even though it sucked, fortunate enough to have an experience of like moving furniture as a job. So I immediately went into like, what would I do in this situation anywhere you else? Blanket. Mode? You got a blanket. Use a blanket and just fucking slide the thing. It was genius. It was perfect. It was so cramped in your room though. I was like, oh my yeah. God. It was because you had like no space between your bed and the, and the, and the fucking dresser and yeah. you had to like angle the dresser or the bed. Yeah. So from your perspective, what was that like? I'm some weird ass dude you've never met. Who's just like manically like, oh, I'm here and I'm going to fucking do this thing and I got to figure it out. And like, you're probably like, what the fuck? Um, slightly, but you were very nice. Okay. Well, that's good. And I feel like, I feel like you maybe saw my Doctor Who ornaments maybe on my bookshelf and you might have brought up that you like Doctor Who. I did. I do remember that. You have the red Dalek and the, uh, the Blue glass TARDIS. TARDIS. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have the, I think we have the TARDIS. I don't think we have the Dalek, but yeah. I do remember that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so it was cool because that was like the spark of our getting to know each other yeah. friendship. And we really we kind of didn't collaborate or anything until a little further down the road. It was yeah. more like the August, September months of last that was, year. That was the first time we ever did foodies. Yeah, and uh, all of those things and the circumstances around that, we had hung out a couple times in between there, though. Right? I think Fia had invited you over maybe one time before then, mm -hmm. something like that. So we had kind of kind of known each other but i think from that interaction i was like well she knows what the fuck she's talking about about movies and we're gonna like relaunch this show like let's have her as a guest and you did the first episode and i was like man she's fucking so much fun let's just keep her around as much as possible <laughs> so i was like in the group going okay well i'm gonna what if we like because i didn't want to like piss anybody off you know how it is so yeah. i'm like okay ap i love you and all but you have even told me that you're gonna miss some episodes so if you're going to miss an episode, we'll just bring Lauren and we'll just have you guys split duty. And it, it never worked out that way. Sometimes you have been there when he hasn't and vice versa. Yeah. But we like to all be together because there's just mm -hmm. a fun kind of energy yeah. that goes into yeah. the into the into doing the show. The four of us work well together. Yeah. It's, and it's really strange because I don't think when you met me, I knew all about podcasting. It was my whole world at that point. And it still is. Um, but I don't think you knew it was going to like come into your life at all no and now here you are yep. doing a podcast yep that's crazy huh yeah do you like podcasting i really do well i really like having an outlet to discuss like some of my favorite things and your thoughts yeah because you don't have to let them bubble and fester and sometimes you're at work and the person next to you doesn't know what the fuck doctor who is They're, they don't want to hear about it mm -hmm. you're like i really want to talk about my theory on the twelfth Doctor and how he's the greatest, <laughs> maybe not, but I yeah. guess. But, um, so I want to kick it back to like the very beginning. We, we're going to kind of we'll link these stories back in together and kind of intertwine everything. But where are you born? Where are you from? Is Northwest Indiana always been home? Um, I was born in Munster. I grew up in Griffith. I went to St. Mary's for preschool through fourth grade, and then in fifth grade I went to Franklin. I wasn't at school at all in sixth grade because I was sick, 
Um, I had cancer when I was 12 in my left hip. Yep. Um, And then I went back to school at St. Mary's for 7th and 8th grade. I went to Griffith for the first five weeks of high school. Then I transferred to Lowell because I didn't like Griffith. I can I see. I can see that. I didn't like the people at Griffith very much, and my mom was, my mom was just frustrating me just because she, my sisters walked all over her. My mom let that happen, and that was really frustrating for me to you're watch. You're the youngest. I'm the oldest. Oh, you're the oldest. Yeah. Oh, so you're watching as you're getting out of high school and stuff. Your younger siblings just. I'm have going. Full reign. I'm going into high school. Oh, you're going into high school, and they already have full reign. I mean, my not my youngest sister, Hannah. She was always kind of maybe just a little bit more sheltered, a little more spoiled than me and Emily. But Emily, my 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 middle sister, she was born in 1992. I was born in 90. Hannah was born in 95. Emily has always been difficult, not only for my mom and for my dad, but for me and for Hannah as well. She's kind of the um, unintentional black sheep. She kind of has her own path she's carved. Yeah. And she definitely goes against the grain and doesn't give a fuck what anybody else thinks about that. No. I mean, I'm kind of like that in some respects, but... I think you have a, a kind of the right to have that mentality, though. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to definitely, hopefully, if you're okay with this, dive into this. So life before sixth grade is just you're growing up living your normal thing. You're into like dancing and sports and stuff. Yeah. I played volleyball. I played softball growing up. Awesome. I was in dance class or dance club at St. Mary's when I was like in like second or third grade. Yeah. So I was able to, I mean, I remember running outside at recess and like me and my best friend Val, who now lives in Seattle. um, We'll get to that later. But she, she, we used to play Buffy at recess. I was always Buffy because I was blonde. That's awesome. She was always Willow because she was like this scrawny little pale redheaded kid. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) And believe it or not, I was stronger growing up. Like I was the stronger one out of the two of us. And now she plays rugby and she could kick my ass if she wanted to. She's just, she became like this badass. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Well, we'll get to her journey in a minute. So you're doing all these normal things. I guess the best thing to ask right out of the gate is like, what happened? What's the lead into finding out you were sick? Was there any big thing that happened that kind of was an event that led to the moment where you had to go to the doctor and they go, something is definitely wrong? Um, I remember when I was like, it was the summer that I turned 12. It was like the May that I turned 12. My dad took me and my sisters and... I can't remember if it was my stepmom. It might have been my stepmom. I can't remember. We all went down to Mammoth Cave. Okay. And my dad told me that he remembered like having to like push me like to like keep walking because I was so tired. And like I had developed like I, I in addition to having cancer, I also had this really rare disease called Cushing's disease. Okay. Which is like something to do with your hormones, like your pituitary gland gets, gets out of whack with that. So they... My mom, my mom noticed that something was wrong with me. She was like, you're very lethargic. She was like, you're just tired all the time. And plus I developed this, this thing called a moon face, which is just like a really, really extremely round face. Okay. And so she took me to the doctor and they drew blood and my cortisol levels were like off the charts high. So then she took me from there up to the University of Chicago and they did a scan of my brain to see if I had any tumors on my pituitary, and I didn't. 
and I, I didn't have any on my adrenals either. And that's the two places where Cushing's tumors are most likely located. Okay. It's in your adrenal and pituitary glands <clears throat> in your brain. And so then they did like a full body MRI and then they found the tumor on my left hip. I was only like the, maybe like the second or third reported case of a Cushing's tumor being somewhere that wasn't on the adrenal and pituitary glands. Man, does it, um, does it affect the odds of, uh, treatment and survival because it was there? Like, did that give you a better chance based on everything they were telling you? Or was this like, wow, you're, you're kind of a case study. Like we're going to have to really take even more special care with you because this is something so rare that we don't ever see. Yeah, that was, that was basically it. I mean, it was a Ewing sarcoma cancer, but a Cushing's tumor. So I don't really know what that means. I'm not a doctor. Me either. Okay. (laughs) I don't even play one on TV, I promise. But Ewing sarcoma is a bone cancer. Okay. And Cushing's was the kind of tumor that I had. Gotcha. So like the, the Cushing's tumor basically turned my left pelvis into Swiss cheese that's what my that's what my orthopedic surgeon it was just it. like putting holes in it mm-hmm. man yeah that is awful so the then i mean i guess the decision is you're a kid okay it's fucked up for kids to go through really fucking traumatic stuff yeah. like this so they obviously are not making it seem probably as bad as it really was in fact my mom took me to go see dr lauren brown down here in munster okay and <laughs> Not to say anything bad about him on air, but he told my my mom and my dad that there was that there was nothing there was nothing on the x-rays and he saw the tumor first. My Whoa. dad got my dad got so mad he went in there, he took a day off work and he went in there and he almost got arrested. That's how belligerent he got with Dr. Brown. Whoa. I mean, it's his little girl's life, man. Yeah. That's a, that's a very serious fucking he, his, offense. His thing was I didn't want to worry you. That's what he told my dad. What the fuck? No, you. He had an opportunity to 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 give you even one step further ahead. Yeah. How many months between those visits? I mean, was maybe it a like while? one or maybe like maybe maybe just like two or three weeks? Honestly, man. I mean, that could have made all the difference. And and luckily, luckily, you guys still caught it fast enough. So then the decision comes that they're going to do, are they going to try chemo treatments first? Do you go through that route? Or? They, they, did, they did a small like biopsy of the tumor, obviously, to find out that it was a Cushing's tumor. I mean, they did blood work and they determined that it was Cushing's, yeah. but then they did a biopsy and they determined that it was for sure Cushing's. And then after that, they did chemo and then they maybe did like six weeks of radiation. The radiation is what fucked me. Because really? the chemo, the chemo didn't really have any effect on my my hips physicality itself. Okay, like it was just the radiation because it was just localized to that area. That's what caused my pelvis to 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 take the turn that it has. Man, that's crazy. So it was just essentially the controlled radiation is just sitting there weakening this one spot on your body, and you're just getting the same treatment over and over and over and over, and it wore that part out. Mm-hmm. So then the tumor, does it subside? Do they remove it with a with a, a surgery? Yeah, they, they eventually went in and they surgically removed it. Okay, cool. They removed pretty much all of it because, I mean, I'm cancer-free. I, I, I haven't had any recurrences. That's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. So, okay, so then now, because now, I actually... Didn't realize there was a separate thing incident. I always had assumed, because I don't know your full story, that's why we're here, 
that the the cancer kind of coincided with the hip issue. So now I'm learning separate issue, and this is probably a long term effect. Um, I mean, yeah, kind of. Um, we'll probably get into this later, but because of all the pain that I had because of my hip problems, I developed an addiction to pain medicine. Oh man, been down that road. Not, not, it's easy to do though, because the way society and the way doctors. Yeah, the doctors prescribed, they, they prescribed me way too much. And how old were you when you started taking pain medication? Um, I was probably like. 17 or 18 maybe when you really needed it and yeah. it was time to go but then it's so easy when you have a prescription for it mm-hmm. and you do hurt that you take more mm-hmm. and then at some point and i know this because my dad has um the spinal stenosis thing going on with him his pills get to the point where he takes so many that he hurts worse the more he takes over time it like starts to mentally affect him and emotionally and like it, it, it changes you internally. Mm-hmm. So and especially at 17. So I think there's a little bit of a gap we need to fill here coming out of this going into the seventh grade. Yeah. What is school and that experience like for you being the kid that has gone through having cancer and come out on the other side? It was definitely really strange at first just because everyone knew that I had been sick like I'm not sure my mom told me that she wanted to like have someone like maybe even like I don't know if she hired someone or just had like someone come into the class and tell them beforehand that I had cancer and I was coming back to school okay I don't know if she ever really did that I've never really asked her if she did but either way they 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 all knew plus my hair was just really short it was a lot shorter than it even is now um but yeah, so I, I had Mr. V for seventh grade. He was he was really nice. He he watched a lot of movies. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's a nice thing for him to do. Mm-hmm. Give give guys some space and some time to kind of get back in the zone. That's great. Mm-hmm. What kind of movies did you guys watch? Well, I'm not talking about in class. I'm talking like he just went to the movies. Oh, a lot. he just went to the movies. Okay, yeah. that's a misinterpretation on my part because I had a teacher, Mr. Harrell who did literally watch movies in class all the time because it was his final year. He had like been at the same school for like 36 years and he was finally retiring and he was teaching seventh grade geography and did not give any fucks. So he would just put movies on and just go figure out the answers in the book, do the test. There you go. And I was like, Oh, seventh grade geography. So easy. The rest of school is going to be great. That was not true at all. Whoa. That was awesome. Great. Catch me. But, um, so it was, it must have been strange because you're going to school and everybody knows, but everybody's definitely probably timid to talk to you, bring it up, mention, Hey, how are you feeling? And what's been happening? It's, um, it's almost like unintentional isolation by trying not to m- make it a big deal. Mm-hmm. So how did you, what did you do to overcome that and like kind of work your way through that? Were you just like, no, fuck it. I'm cool. I'm the same fucking person. Fuck you guys. Kind of. I mean, I had friends that I had had before from St. Mary's that I knew. So just kind of fell into those old friends and they kind of like introduced me to like somewhat new people that I hadn't really connected with before from St. Mary's. Cool. And I mean, I make friends pretty easily. So you don't say. Yeah. 
it's it's easy when you're Lauren. Like you're just you're just an infectious person to be around. I don't Thank know you. if you're aware of that, but that's like one of the conversations we had. Like, man, Lauren's just so fun to have around. Like, I don't. It's it's awesome. But continue on. Sorry, I didn't mean to like derail you. Yeah. So in eighth grade, I went from I graduated from St. Mary's in eighth grade, and then after that, we were gonna try to see about sending me to Andrean, but it was too expensive, and we just didn't want to do that. So I ended up going to Griffith for five weeks. Um, I didn't like it there at all. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Um, I've, I've kind of been around Griffith a little bit. I had to like do the photography for their school sports a couple years there when I worked at the photography industry and, uh, man, there are some fucked up kids that go through Griffith. That's mm -hmm. all I can say. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to give it any specifics, but I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. Especially on the other side of like, you have kind of your click coming out of St. Mary's. And your, your group of friends, I'm guessing very few, if any of them, Griffith bound? Mm, just just a few. Yeah, not very many of them. Plus, plus a lot of them had already left earlier. Like my best friend Val, she left in sixth grade or maybe seventh grade. She didn't go to St. Mary's with me in sixth or seventh and eighth grade. She, she already moved to Lowell, which is why I moved to Lowell. Because Val moved to Lowell because her dad had bought property down there. So they built a house. So I moved down there because my dad didn't want to live in Griffith anymore either. Because he's he's actually moving to Montana in a few months. Whoa. Yeah. yeah actually, you, um, you had mentioned that because you were saying how important it is for you to get together with him on Father's Day this year. Mm -hmm. like you want to make that happen because you don't know when that's going to happen. He's going to be on his own adventure for a while. Mm -hmm. So and it's, it's, you know, not like you go flying all over the country all the time yeah. you've got stuff you got to be doing around here so yeah uh, so Lowell was basically the closest to Montana that my dad could get and still be in Lake County okay totally I get that ranchy yeah. and yeah beautiful hills kind of yeah and... so he he moved out there and we lived in like a little house a little duplex in Indian Heights for a little bit and then after that he built his own house off of 55 in this other subdivision um nine mile mm -hmm. nice yeah very nice. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's beautiful scenery because it's just fields and, mm -hmm. and corn. Yeah. Lots of corn. Yeah. I mean, it was very, it was definitely a lot more scenic than Griffith was, but definitely not as scenic as he would have liked it to be. Because totally. Because the land he, the property he bought in Montana, like, overlooks literally a mountain. Oh, gorgeous. Damn. Uh, so you are like, get me the fuck out of Lowell, whatever we have to do to make that happen. Give me the fuck out of Griffith and into or, Lowell. Out of Griffith and into Lowell. Thank you. Um, I feel like Lowell unintentionally became this like hub of connectivity. Mm -hmm. I met my buddy Anthony and he lives in Lowell. His connection led me to Veronica, which led me to meeting you. It's like Lowell is just like this hub of, I don't even know how to, it's weird. Yeah. It's very weird how that works. Because uh, it's, not, it's not like anything is ever planned like that. So you, you are like, get me out of Griffith sucky i hate it i want to strangulate everybody get me into lowell did they just like make your dad your primary parent as for just address purposes so you could like have the freedom to do that yeah that's awesome yeah so my dad had like full custody of me then because my mom still lived in Kruth with my two younger sisters who would throughout the course of the next like three years somewhat live with him even though my my middle sister 
Emily, the one born in 92, not 95, she clashed heads with my dad, even though they get along great now. But back then, she was just such a little shit that, like, he he couldn't stand her. He and they and they would they it. would get in physical fights. Damn. Yeah. Was it? And she couldn't stand his wife, my stepmom either, and you know. So Hannah Hannah's always been a lot more docile than Emily and and I have been. She's she's always been a lot more low key. Yeah. But um, yeah. So from from there from Griffith, I moved to Lowell. I moved in with my dad. He had full custody of me i went to go see my mom every other weekend i know what that's like yeah live that life for from eight years old till uh, 18 so mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah so now that's actually confusing because let me ask you this question from that before we jump too much further ahead the way the the custody worked were you every other weekend with your sisters or was that inconsistent just depending on how they were feeling or i, I get how what was the environment there were you more always with your sisters or, you know, because, like, you were living with your dad. I was living with my dad. My and sisters weren't. My sisters were living with my mom. So you would see them every weekend unless they were living down with him as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you you actually did have limited time yeah. with your siblings. I know what that's like as well. So that's, that's, that's kind of sucky because you can almost get a complex of, like, only child mm-hmm. even though you're not. Like, yeah. It, because you're isolated. You're treated differently. It's your... And I, again, with my dad, I lived and, you know, went through all that stuff. So, yeah, that's crazy. You guys get along great, probably? Me and my dad? Yeah. Yeah. We do now. We didn't. We didn't so much, like, even, like, five or six years ago. We okay. didn't really get along that okay. well. Uh, all three of you are same mother, father, right? Yes. Okay. So, shortly after the th- that your your youngest sister is born everything kind of falls apart or was this even later down the road um or? my youngest sister was born in march of 1995 she's a pisces my sister emily was born in may of 1992 she's a taurus i was born june 25th 1990 i'm a cancer <laughs> not that that really matters but um so yeah shortly well my sister my youngest was born in march of 1995 by the summer of two. Um, 1998 my parents were divorced okay we're working on getting divorced so yeah i was only i i'd only seen them from like maybe the first like together for like the first eight years of my life okay and then after that they they didn't really get along at all no no was that another thing you had to contend with was like their toxic relationship dealing with you guys Yeah, because the same, you get tossed into it as a mm-hmm. kid, especially eight years old in the middle of a divorce. You become like a yeah. chess piece. Yeah. It's really fucked up how that works. I was just old enough to where it didn't really affect me that much, but my middle sister, Emily, it affected her a lot. And my youngest sister, Hannah, wasn't quite old enough to, to where, even know or yeah. care that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you, the three and four age for kids is per, I mean, Listen, divorce is like a thing that happens and it's a a regular statistic that coincides with marriage. Like every time there's marriage, there's a chance for divorce, right? So like the young, the younger that you, your kid is when that happens, if you, if you're going to cut it off and you have kids, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be able to make that call, 
do it when they're young. Don't make them wait till they're five because then it can be very, very traumatic. That's like right when you need your parents the fucking most, you know. And for that stability to get swept under is just like it's it's hard. So did you, older sister, become kind of also like the rock slash confidant to your younger sisters when they needed a shoulder to lean on? Uh, even going through everything you had gone through. I mean, they knew you were obviously incredibly strong. Um, somewhat. I mean, honestly, growing up, I I can't even really remember how me and Emily were. I just remember being so... Me and Emily used to get in physical fights, too. Like, there were several times that I, like... I remember I was on the phone once with my friend Val. This is when I was still living at my mom's house. And I remember I beat Emily with the back of a hairbrush. Oh, my God. <laughs> While you were on the phone? Yeah. That's amazing. Was she just annoying the shit out of you? Yeah. And you were just like, okay, if you're not going to fucking stop, I'm going to put the bricks to you. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great older sibling fuck you story. Mm-hmm. But, then as, but then as she got older, like, she just, she, her bipolar tendencies came out a lot more. Yeah, once she developed and, and grew up, it, it, you grow into that. So if she, do, if she does definitely go through the bipolar thing, for sure. That's very unfortunate to to also, man, it's like you just have literally contended with all these different fucking things, man. Because that's another thing. As a sibling, you have to now worry about her losing mm-hmm. it and freaking out and doing something that she'll regret forever, obviously. So it's like. You're, even though even though oftentimes I feel like she feels like she's the older sibling, whenever we go out, people are people are always or she always asks people which one of us is older. And they're always like they're always like mm, you, meaning Emily, and she's like mm, no, she's like almost two years older over here. Is that like a game for her? Does she like that she seems older? Um, well, her thing is is that I spent many years of my youth inside. And she yes. spent many years of her youth outside because she graduated from girls' school downstate in Indiana. She went to jail when she... The first time she was in jail was... Let me see. I had just turned... Let me see. It was in, like, March of 2009. So I was... I had just turned... 19? I had oh, just you... turned 18. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, my bad. Bad math. Yeah. I turned 18, like, the previous June. Okay. So, she she went to jail on St. Patrick's Day, 2009, because we had a party at my mom's house, and she had weed there, and the cops came, and there were 15 people there. Okay. And one of our friends let the cops in. Oh. Yeah. One of our little friends named Colin, he was only, like... Maybe like 13 or 14 at the time he let the cops he in. He just didn't know any better. Mm-mm. Man, that's an epic fail. Mm-hmm. You Were you there? Yeah, I was there. How was that for you? Um, Stressful? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, like holy fuck, we're all going to jail right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm guessing that some stuff was left out and that's why the cops um, harassed your sister. Well, she actually, when the cops got there, she hid it up like... We had a basement. It had like um, a drop ceiling with oh, tile. Yeah, she hid it up inside. Yeah, but the cops looked right at it. Yeah, they looked right at it. They were they didn't they didn't they didn't put it down for far enough so they could see it like poking out like probably like a two pound bag of weed. Oh my god. Yeah, she's yeah. She she went hard in the paint. Mm-hmm. Damn. So 
That seems like you said the first time she got arrested that there's like more. To yeah, this. there's definitely been more times. <laughs> what about you? Is your record clean? Do you, have you ever gone? I've to, only to... ever been arrested once. That one time when I was eighteen, and it was then, and then it was you were you probably were what scolded and sent home. I mean, I got in a lot of trouble from my mom when she got back up from Tennessee. I feel like she was visiting my aunt with my youngest sister. I got in a lot of trouble. I was grounded for like two or three weeks. But I mean, from ever since then, Emily had just kind of been on like a downward spiral. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then so then she eventually graduated from girls school downstate Indiana. And. From there, she just kind of started wandering around the country. She used to jump trains. Really? She was legitimately homeless. She has like really long dreads. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen her on I my d- Facebook I... or on my Instagram. Yeah, maybe once a couple times you guys have like went to the bar together or something. Mm-hmm. You've, you posted some selfies. Uh, you, you see, I see you with pictures with your other sister probably more though. No, definitely not with no? Hannah. No, not no. with Hannah. What? what? Then I've seen your other sister for sure. My brain's all over the place. But anyways, so you get the one time she goes on this other path. Um, 18, you're in the process of graduating. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like? You a pretty good student? Um. Well, <laughs> by November of my senior year, I had gotten tired of living with my dad. Okay. And I missed my mom by this point. Okay. So in November of my senior year, in a rather rather dramatic turn of events, I left my dad's house one day. I just left. Whoa. Le- left everything there and left or packed up and left? or Packed up and left, although I still can't find my fucking Harry Potter hardcover first edition copies that I had at his house. So, Hey, that's a foodies throwback. We were trying to solve that mystery last yeah, episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the box. It's in the box somewhere what box could it be in and where also it's that friend you lent it to there was no (laughs) friend god only knows where it is right now that's unfortunate but um yeah so i just kind of just up and left my dad's because my dad my dad has diabetes really bad and at first he didn't know he had diabetes so his blood sugar would get fucked up and it would fuck with his temper really really bad oh yeah 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 sugar crashes and stuff and mm-hmm. we're going into rage mode not even being cognitive that you're in that place mm-hmm. yeah that's a uh, definitely not a cool environment to be around so it became toxic a little bit yeah and you were just like deuces let's go yeah let's do this so did you have to then senior year secretly drive back and forth from griffith to Lowell for school, or did you do a like, no. last-minute transfer? I did a last-minute transfer. Whoa. In November of my senior year, I transferred. So I transferred, like, yeah. So you were there for the first five weeks, left for your whole entire school experience. Yeah. But the last, like, three months. Yeah, the last, like, semester and a month. You're yeah. gangster. That's a pretty gangster move. And, like, people were probably like, I remember her. She transferred away. Why is she back? Mm-hmm. Was it hard, difficult to make friends? Um, not really, no. Oh, yeah, you make friends with everybody. Uh, yeah. I actually made quite a few friends. I, I actually made a lot of friends at Lowell through Val. And then I made just quite a few friends of my own. Um, Well, even though my friend Olivia Muha, who I know, I don't know if you've met her through V or you've heard V talk about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the mutual friend you guys had, right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, definitely. Yeah. I love her. She still lives in Lowell with her parents in the same house that I used to always go visit her at. Hell yeah. It's right across the street from, kind of across the commercial from Love and Oven. Oh, cool. Like right by Classy Cuts. But yeah, so I I met her and then I met my friend Diana, um, my friend Jordan, Chelsea, Amy. Yeah, so I have a lot of friends at Lowell, even though I don't really see them anymore. The only one that I've really seen um, since I've moved home Diana, she's a school teacher in Indianapolis now, so she sometimes, oh, cool. she'll come up here for, like, holidays. Like, she came home last Thanksgiving, and we went out to a bar, and, like, we had a few drinks. Nice. She brought her boyfriend up with her. Um, but Val lives in Seattle now, which I'll get to after I go through the, the Griffith, the last part of Griffith. So, yeah, I moved back to Griffith, and I made quite a few friends when I moved back to Griffith. Um, my friend Mike Scally, who's actually, he's, like, this long-haired hippie guy. But he won Griffith's Homecoming King. Sweet. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I was actually on my prom court. Really? Yeah. Wait, he might have he might have been prom king. Damn, that's baller. Yeah. Can't remember if he was Homecoming King or Prom King. He was one of them. That's crazy. That's awesome, too, though, because he's probably just a really super nice guy that everybody could get behind. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, you could vote for me. That'd be cool. And everyone's like, yes, we would love to see him be that. (laughs) Fucking write him in right now. And it was just so funny to me because I feel like he had to have been prom king because homecoming was before. Yeah. Before I would have moved back to Griffith. Yeah. Definitely. So it would have been prom yep he was our prom king that's awesome and i remember i just thought it was so funny because we did mushrooms for the first time together that's amazing like in high school yeah that's amazing yeah we did mushrooms and we robo trip for the first time together okay back up first of all first trip experience let's talk about it if you can remember it or have any interesting conversations that you'd like to tell about that i remember we did it we did a christmas day night Okay. It was um, my sister's friend, Jerry. He he was one that got her into selling weed originally. But he he got a connect on mushrooms and he just came over and he, he handed us all out maybe like an eighth just for free. He was like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. What? So he gave me an eighth. He gave my sister an eighth. He gave um, Mike Scally an eighth. And he gave... Um, my ex-boyfriend Alex an eighth and then after that he gave us all a roll so whoa yeah oh man yeah okay so what do you remember if anything like um I remember my sister my sister did not have a good first trip at all oh no (laughs) that can affect everybody though yeah like the, the the we were at this party one time and this girl did mushrooms and she thought she saw floral patterns on everything people included and she was like panicking that she couldn't see anything but flowers you know mm-hmm. and i'm like oh, it sucks to suck like not me yeah but. but just to show you how how strange our relationship with our mom was even into my senior year of high school our mom knew we were doing mushrooms in the basement and she came downstairs and she took one look at emily and she said she came down the back steps like down like kind of going into the basement mm-hmm. And she cocked her head a little and she was like, are you tripping? 
And that, of course, set my sister off. Oh, man, because your <laughs> sister was probably like, oh, my God. No. Yeah. Like, because mom figure in your head, even if there's permission, she's still in her head going, oh, my God, mom's yeah. no longer no. My sister, my sister just kept asking the whole time. She's like, are you my friends? <laughs> she was like, are you all my friends? And we're all like, yeah. yeah, like everything's cool, man. Yeah, like everything's okay. And she was like, she's like, no, you're not my friends. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What was it like? Do you remember much? Um, yes, mm. I do. I remember we watched this like <coughs> felt like fucking twenty four hour documentary <laughs> called "What <laughs> What the Bleep Do We Know?" Okay, down the rabbit hole. Okay, it's basically like an interview with like all these like physicists and like theologians and different people oh. about like the nature of the universe and like reality utterly fascinating yeah it's fascinating to watch now i couldn't imagine what it'd be like fucked up on mushrooms but like... so yeah we watched that it was probably only maybe like three or four hours but it felt so much longer oh yeah and then after that we watched donnie darko very interesting secondary choice mm-hmm. for your come down mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, that was rough. I don't know about that. <laughs> Going into real world, like really yeah. thinking about some existential, like, oh, we all, ugh. nope, not a fan. Mm-hmm. So you're on the other side of Christmas and your mushroom adventure, mm-hmm. and you're sliding into the end of your journey in school, mm-hmm. right? So what's that like? You still kind of stay solid, do your thing with grades, and, and just like... Yeah, I graduated with a core 40. I had to take summer school for Algebra 2 because my the Griffith's math program was so much worse than Lowell's. Ooh. Like, so much worse. Like, the teacher that I had for Algebra 2, she was a sweet lady. Her name was Mrs. Carr, but she was just a very hard teacher to understand. Oh, no. So there was lots of misunderstandings in the teachings, which makes it hard and shit happens. I vibe that. I vibe that for sure. So get out of school. Is it college time? Mm-hmm. You decide you're gonna yeah um go after to the university after i graduated um i got a job working at an admissions representative as a school at a school in maryville well i started working out as a receptionist there um so i started doing that and then from there i went to purdue cal i majored in psychology which was just kind of a bullshit major just okay yeah i didn't know what i was gonna do with it because at the time, I was just like, I'm just going to go to school for psychology. You didn't want to be a psychologist or any of those things. I mean, I don't think I realized at the time that if I wanted to be a psychologist, I'd have to go to school for like eight to ten years. Man. Yeah. Rough. So what's the college experience like? I mean, there wasn't really much of a college experience because I was working and going to school at the same time. I moved out of my mom's house in June of 2009. Um, Wait, maybe June of 2010. I can't remember. But I started dating this guy, Anthony, um, like in like June of 2009. So the year that I, the summer that I graduated. Okay. We started dating. We broke up like a year later. Mm, yeah, I must have gotten the apartment in June of 2010 because I, I was living with my mom and going to school for like the first year. Um, but so from from there, I moved into my own apartment in Griffith, like this tiny little one bedroom apartment. And um, 
I mean, school's okay. I did really well in English and French and philosophy. I did okay in math. I didn't do well in economics. Uh, no one does well in economics. No. Why do they even teach it? Even though that's what I want to major in now that I'm going back to school is oh, economics. Oh, hey, yeah. that's a spoiler alert. Doing the back to school thing. Have you ever seen that movie? Mm-mm. Rodney Dangerfield, Back to School? Mm-mm. Man, fucking hilarious. His son, like, is on this, he is the towel boy for the dive team. And he's like, I want to visit my kid. So he's like, I'm going to go to the school. And then he realizes his kid's like a dork and nobody likes him. So he's like, I'm going to go to this school with you and make you cool. <laughs> And then he just, he pays to enroll himself in the school. And then it's, wow, it's a fucking weird movie. It's yeah. amazing. Cause then Rodney Dangerfield joins the dive team and he's like an amazing diver. Oh really? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's not really him. And they do a body double. I was going to say, it doesn't great. sound very believable. It's not at all, but that's what makes it great. Cause he's like in a point where, you know, he's definitely not doing that shit. But anyways, so you're on the grind. You go through college and you're just working and schooling and schooling and working and getting kind of lost in that. And you said you were dating a guy and then that fell apart. And yeah, you kind of like went about into... a year later, okay. we stopped dating. Um, we got back together several times throughout this whole thing. Like maybe like over the next, the period of the next two years, we got back together like maybe like once or twice. Yeah. Um, but when I was, was I a sophomore? Was I a junior in college? Um, either way, I'm still considered a sophomore going into college again, even though okay. this will technically be like my fourth year because I just didn't get enough credits when I went. So you got to get like your credits transferred back or are they just still chilling there? That You're going to the same place? I'm going to IUN. I went to Purdue okay. Cal. Okay. Okay. So IUN is that way. Yeah, it's in Gary. <laughs> terrifying but it's, yeah. it's not really in like the hardest part of gary it's no. like the school yeah totally different vibe than what pe- people heard gary on this conversation <gasps> yeah lauren's going to gary yes i am you're like i'm a fucking gangster yes i am <laughs> like, i'm gonna roll up in there like it ain't no thing like, fuck you all like I, that's what i love about you too you're just like no give no give a shits attitude I love that. <laughs> so uh college you you did was it just a too much work need to do something else thing or um felt like you were when, spinning the tires when i was walking into math class um i was just walking my hip broke what the fuck yeah i was literally like two or three steps away from the door to the math class in the basement of the guy building and my hip just snapped what in the fuck happened? Like, do you like you fell over? Um, or... I stumbled. Okay. I got back up. I walked into class. I sat down. I took notes for the whole class. I still have the copy of the notes. That's your fucking baller. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, I still have the notes. Um, and then after that, I mean, I remember I dry swallowed a few of my Vicodin or maybe Norco's that I had with me. Okay. Because the pain was awful just sitting there. And I didn't I didn't tell the teacher because I didn't I didn't want like to disrupt the class and I didn't want like paramedics to come down there and yeah. like make a big scene. Yeah. Totally you felt like it was unnecessary. I'm fine. Yeah. Something is off, but I have a little bit of pain that I'm not used to. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was broken. Oh, you're so you're aware of the situation. Yeah. You felt it break, obviously. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I felt it snap. So I texted my ex-boyfriend, Anthony, at the time, 
and he he was like where are you i was like i'm in the basement of the guide building in such and such a room and he was like okay i'll be there in a few minutes so he came down there i was the last person out of the classroom there were a few people like lining up outside to get in and he came down there and he got my backpack from me and he helped me walk outside damn like he pulled my car up for me and from there he he drove me back to my apartment he made me mac and cheese and i remember getting out of the car and walking up to the apartment because there were steps inside that was awful oh no yeah because the pain just eventually got worse and worse like the longer that it was broken but nothing was being done about it okay yeah obviously because it's just the bones just sitting there grinding and hitting nerves and all kinds of shit that it's not supposed to mm-hmm. and you're feeling it uh so you're finally like tapped down on pain was there a decision where you're like okay fuck it i'll go to the doctor i need to figure yeah, out what's yeah. up when i was at my apartment back in griffith i called my i called my surgeon's office who's been my surgeon since i was 12 um he's still my surgeon he's the one who i made the appointment with who i'm gonna go see on i made him an appointment to go see him on my birthday oh did you really yeah well that's nice yeah just because check up yeah see how things are going mm-hmm. that's awesome so you call him up. Mm-hmm. We got a problem. Yeah. He's like, come in. He's like, I'll fit you in. So I went up to the University of Chicago. Well, Anthony drove me up there in my car. And I still have a picture on my old Facebook of me in the wheelchair and him behind me. And he like took a picture on my phone. Uh, good thing to remember. Yeah. I mean, like that's a cool moment, I guess. The, the caption of that picture was broke femur in all caps. Damn. <laughs> Damn, my sister broke both her femurs when she was hit by a car. Really? Yeah, yeah, when she was five. So that's, again, a weird similarity to our story that's totally different. But, yes, a femur break is very fucking serious. Uh, So did you get a cast, or what what was the decision? Was it like emergency, we've got to operate and figure some shit out? Yeah, he did a full, he did a total hip replacement then. Damn, just let's do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, how did that go? It went well, um, except I needed to have a revision done like a year later. Okay, what is a revision? Is that they didn't set it right or something? It wasn't feeling right when you were walking? No, basically what happened was, I can't remember if the infection, if I had an infection. I can't remember what caused it first. I remember I spent New Year's before, because this happened in January. Okay. I spent the New Year's before this happened in the hospital in so much pain. And they were like, there's nothing wrong. There's like, we can't see anything on the x-rays. There was like, there's nothing that we can see that's going on. And so they sent me home on pain medicine. That was the Norcos that I took when I broke my hip because they gave me the Norcos to take from when I was in the hospital for the last time. And they were like, we can't see anything wrong. I thought then that it was an infection that got into my hip because I'd had like a cold or like a flu or something, maybe like two weeks earlier. You were just feeling off. Yeah. Um, I remember during Christmas break that year, I just did not feel good at all. I mean, by New Year's Eve, I was in the emergency room and no. Yeah. So I thought that it was maybe like a cold that had settled in my hip. I don't know if that can happen. I'm not a doctor once again, but, um, so I'm not sure if, Something got into my blood somehow and caused my hip to become infected and that weakened the bone already. And that's why it just broke when I was literally just walking into class. 
like not doing anything else. I was just walking. No way. That's who. So, uh, you get the full hip replacement. Yeah. And recovery time is probably what several months. You can mm-hmm. do very, very, very little of anything. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Stressful. Um, what do you do in that time when like you have had to overcome so many stupid, like crazy things in your journey? when does this like kind of start grading on you? Like, are you fucking serious? Like another thing? Like, is, is this kind of the straw that breaks that camel's back? And you're just like, um, no, that didn't come until years later. Um, basically all I did during this time was I just, I read a lot. Like I kind of started my little mini library that I still have a small portion of now, even though since I've moved back and forth from Seattle, I'll get to that eventually, but um, I've lost a lot of my books, a lot of my movies, a lot of my things that I probably will never see again, but so that's when I started like watching a lot of TV shows, like that's when I started watching Community. I remember I went to Target and I bought like all the first, maybe like I feel like maybe only the first two or three seasons were released on DVD by then. Man, those are the best seasons though. Yeah. Trying I bet in the morning. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I love that show so much. Uh, Donald Glover, obviously great. Mm-hmm. So you're into TV and you're kind of just like laid up reading, doing what you reading, can. Watching TV. Recovering, slowly probably going to physical therapy a little bit at some point towards the I end had, of your I journey. I had at-home physical therapy in my apartment. Okay, that's kind of great, right? Mm-hmm. They come to you. That way you don't have to deal with shit and stress. Did you get stir crazy being in the house for like an like a extended amount of time? Being that you were kind of stuck there? Yeah. How did that affect you? Like, did did it start to wear on your mental? Or was it just more of like, kind of like, you started like getting kind of emotional outbursts or? Um, I can't remember, honestly. I can't remember when I started abusing my pain medicine, to be honest. Um, well, the surgery happened when I was like 19 or 20. And by the time I was like 21, I was already like needing it every day. More than prescribed. And mm-hmm. that's uh, that's when it gets dangerous and you don't even know it's dangerous. You're just hurting mm-hmm. and trying to make the hurt go away. And there's no, there's no victory there. So into your 20s, what's the solution to wean yourself and get yourself back right off of this? Is it just getting on the other side of the of the recovery process? Well, before we can get into that, um, I had my second surgery in July of 2011. So I had just turned 21, maybe. What a shitty birthday present, huh? Yeah. You're like, oh, great. More hospitals, more dumb shit I have to deal with. So uh, what was that surgery? Um, they basically just went in and they had to pull everything out and put all new metal back in there. Oh, that's because it didn't take. Yeah. It wasn't, it, what, it was just infected and wasn't accepted in your body. So they had to do this all again. Mm-hmm. Does this second attempt work finally? No. What? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't really taking care of myself because I was addicted to the pain medicine, which at this point, I can't even tell you if I was taking it because I was in pain or if I just like needed it just because... I needed it just because my body had gotten used to getting so much of it into my system that I was basically just trying to prevent withdrawal. 
Totally. I mean, I remember I spent nights in my apartment at Griff in Griffith, like just like wide awake, like laying on the couch, like rocking back and forth, like just trying to wait until the morning when I could go and get my next refill. Oh man, the carryover night when you can't do. Oh man, you have dealt with some fucking shit, man. Like like everything you say just keeps your voice survival. You're the, like you're taking the <laughs> the fucking role of the actual voice of survival because you've survived it all. So it doesn't take on the second go. How long before you realize that's going on? Is this a short process yet again? You're in and out, or? Um. Well, I mean, like I said, I wasn't really taking care of myself, so. What happened? Um, shit. I went to go see my doctor in like the spring of 2013, maybe? Okay. Maybe 2014. I can't remember when I moved to Seattle. I was either 23 or 24. By the time I was 26, I was back here. Well, I was 20. Let me see. I was 25 and a half when I moved back here because I'm 27 now. Yeah. So, um, let me see. What was I talking about? Oh, so I moved out to Seattle. Yeah. How's that happened? Val's out there. No, my mom, my mom moved out there. She moved out there. She got a job at Amazon because she was, she used to work for Deloitte and Touche's like big accounting firm in downtown Chicago. Okay. And she lost her job there. And... Wait, no. How the fuck did this happen? She had friends that she knew who lived out in Seattle. And she just wanted to get away. She just wanted to move away. New scene. Yeah. She just basically wanted to start over somewhere. So she moved out to Seattle. And she moved out there around Halloween of the year prior to me moving out there. Or maybe the year prior to that. I can't remember. All these are kind of just meshing together in my head right now. But either way... She moved out to Seattle, and in, like, the spring of 2013 or 2014, I can't remember, I went to go see my surgeon again, the one that I had had, the one that I've had since I was 12. And he was, like, eventually, he was, like, there's going to be nothing I can do for you. He was, like, eventually, I'm just going to probably need to go in and remove it all entirely. And that scared the shit out of me. Whoa. Because at the time, they were like, they were like, there's a 50% chance you'll need to use a wheelchair to get everywhere. There's like, they were like, there's like a. That's crazy. Uh, the other 50% chance is where we end up, I'm guessing. Yeah. The I mean, or wait, no, they explain it. Wait, they explain it. 30% need a wheelchair to get around. 30% need a walker or a cane and then 30% can walk just fine without anything. But of course with me, I had so much leg length discrepancy from my previous surgeries because each time they did a previous surgery, I lost a little bit of length. Mm -hmm. So I probably would be able to walk fine if it wasn't for the leg length discrepancy that I have. So if the first two attempts hadn't happened, Mm -hmm. different story. Mm -hmm. So, they tell you, okay, well... He told me that basically, he's like, eventually there's going to come a day when I can't do anything for you. Which will eventually bring me up to June of 2016. But for now, we're still, we still haven't even gotten to Seattle yet. So I moved out to Seattle to be with my mom, to be closer to my mom. Because my hip pain eventually got to the point the infection was so bad that 
I couldn't go to work anymore. And between between my last surgery and this me moving to Seattle, I had gotten a second job. I had worked for like a period of like six months at the school that I was working at okay. in Maryville, and I worked at Centier as a teller. So I would travel. I originally started at this branch in Strax in Crown Point, and then I eventually got promoted to be a traveling teller. So I would fill in for like leaves of absences, maternity leaves, all that, like around in Northwest Indiana. When they needed you. Yeah. You're going to be going here for three weeks, here for four weeks. Yeah. There for two days. Do they ever yeah. go really short? Yeah. Most of the time it was really short. Oh, okay. That's cool. So that's a nice change of scenery all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're like, can't work anymore. I'm going with you, mom. Did you tell her I'm going with you? Or did she say like, you should just get the fuck out of here? And there, She was like, just come out here and live with me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. So my best friend Val had just graduated from college. She just gotten a degree in logistics and French. So she moved out to Seattle to live with me. By this time, I was not any fun to be around because I feel like by moving out to Seattle, I just self-isolated myself even more because I didn't know anyone in Seattle except for Val and my mom. And so basically that was just more of an excuse for me to just abuse the opiates, which is basically what I did. And once I got out there, my addiction got even worse. It branched out even from just opiates. I was taking anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, and sleeping meds, and pain medicine all at the same time. Whoa. And that's uh, obviously a thing that affects everything inside. Mm -hmm. The more medications you take, and and I'm guessing you're not giving a fuck what may the side effects be of cross-utilizing all these medications, because there should... Probably be some side effects if certain things clash in you, right? Yeah. And you're just like, fuck it, I need it. Mm -hmm. This is what's up. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I got to get through. Mm -hmm. And you were lost out there a little bit. Yeah. What snaps you out of it and like pulls you from this, the abyss that is Seattle? Um, well, Val eventually moved out. She got her own place. Um, Was there a rift there or was it just? I mean, there definitely was. I remember some nights she would come home. She would sometimes abuse opiates with me. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, you're in that environment. It's it's not necessarily that hard to do, especially if she's having a shitty day, hurting or whatever, and mm-hmm. goes, "Hey, can I have a couple of those?" You're going to be like, "Fuck yeah, I'll hook you up, man. Like, mm-hmm. No big deal." So you guys kind of have this kind of codependency thing. Yeah, it becomes toxic. Yeah, she got the fuck out. Yeah, she even OD'd on my pain meds one time. Whoa. Yeah. I used to I used to be really bad, Nate. I would take them and I'd break them down and snort them. Whoa. That's intense. You were in you were in rough shape at that point, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um so your friend OD were you there? You found her? You were a part of Yeah. My cat jumped up on my bed and woke me up because we were both nodding out. Whoa. And, and you just so happened to see it. Yeah. It it actually happened. Yeah. This was at my apartment in Griffith still. This was, she had just graduated college. Yeah, so she had just moved home. And this happened, yeah, when we were still back in Griffith. And she OD'd. And my, I called my neighbor upstairs, Stephanie, who still lives there. Um, and she came downstairs and she called an ambulance. And an ambulance came and got Val and brought her to Munster Community. And they gave her like, um, I forget what it's called. The adrenaline thing like in Pulp Fiction? No, they gave her, what is it called? Ni- 
niacin or something like that. I don't know. Okay. It's something that like just stops all the opiates in your body. Wow. I didn't know there was such a thing. That's yeah, crazy. It's like a super strong opiate antagonist. Damn. They gave her that and she started like puking and she spent only like one night in the hospital and her, I don't know if her parents knew that I gave her what made her sick, but either way, it, it, it doesn't really matter because they still love me. They still. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, that you kept that good relationship. So, and I mean, obviously you still talk very fondly of Val, so that bridge isn't burned something has changed so she gets the fuck out of the apartment and gets out of my mom's house your mom's house yep sorry my fault and gets her own place Mm -hmm. and now it's just you and your mom and my mom's boyfriend Uh Mm uh-oh why do i have a feeling the boyfriend is the is the straw breaking the camel's back i mean i like him now i did not like him then sure Sure. I mean, I didn't even like my mom back then. I was a bitch back then because it was all about the pain medicine. Yeah. And when I could get it. And there even came a point in time when like they had a lockbox and they would like put my pain medicine in a lockbox and they would only give it to me at certain times of the day, even though they knew that I would abuse it the way that I did. But that brings me to my next point, which is that in October of 2014, I had a stroke. What? Holy shit. Okay. Uh, you are, let me math that up, 24? Mm-hmm. You have a stroke. Brought on by a drug overdose. Whoa. Okay. Where were you when this happened? I was upstairs in my bed at my mom's house. Okay. My mom, it was in the morning. She was She was getting up, getting ready to go to work, and she remembers my cat meowing. Okay. So Jack has literally saved mine and Val's life. That's crazy. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So the cat's meowing. Obviously, get your mom's attention. Something's not right. Yeah. Or maybe she just went upstairs to like feed him. Maybe he was just meowing because he was hungry. But either way, she came upstairs and she saw me like slumped over in my bed. Oh, no. Um, fucking terrifying as a parent to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lost oxygen in my brain for I don't know how long. Wow. Uh, Ambulance is called. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As far as you know now, because you're 27 going on 28, so that's four years of time here. Have you noticed long-term effects from that that have, have like, stuck with you or things that have changed because of that one incident? Mm -hmm. Well, for example, like, for the first month or two afterwards i couldn't talk walk bathe myself dress myself like i remember yeah i could when i the first time i spoke my mom like started crying oh i bet that's that's a tremendous thing to experience like somebody who is n- not quite themselves because of the situation i mean it happens in old people a lot so when it's a younger person especially you who's already been through so many fucking things it's just again another thing that's piled on your plate. Um, so you have to go through rehabbing, having a stroke mm-hmm. and l- learning motor skills and everything again. Mm-hmm. Is that also the time that it was like, I'm done with these fucking painkillers? Like, yeah, that we... basically, it basically, I mean, in a lot of respects, I'm lucky because it basically reset my brain 
in that I didn't, I had no desire to do opiates. once or crave I crave it. No, oh. I had no craving for it once I came out of it. But the thing that did get fucked up with me is just somewhat my relationship with other people. Like, like I become a lot more obsessive about certain people and about certain things than I used to be. Okay. Yeah. And my mom said what, as soon as, as soon after I had the stroke, she said that my filtering got a lot worse, like on Facebook. Like I would say a lot more vulgar things. And You don't have a filter. Because, okay, that, I don't think that is like a direct side effect. I think that's more, again, you have been through so much shit that you don't give a fuck. Like, why would you? Why do you need to give a fuck what you say on Facebook? What's someone going to take away from you they haven't already tried to take? You fucking experience it all. And, I, and we're not, still not even done. We've got still like a four-year gap after the, after this situation in Seattle. So you're in the rehab situation there first. Mm-hmm. When you come out of it, are you like, get me the fuck out of here. It's toxic. The scene is everything. I'm, I'm realizing this is making it worse. Um. Well, let's see. That was in October of 2014. I lived in Seattle for all of 2015. Okay. I came back in the summer of 2015 for my golden birthday because my birthday is June 25th. So I came back in the summer of 2015 to stay with my dad. Half Christmas. Yeah. For like for like a, a few weeks. Cool. So I came back to stay with my dad for maybe like two or three weeks. And then after that, I came back to Seattle. That's when I really started getting into yoga a lot. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yoga is a whole different place. Mm-hmm channeling your inner was it did somebody show you yoga or was it just like self-discovery you're like i'm gonna fucking try yoga Fuck my it. mom took me out for one yoga one private one-on-one yoga class and i didn't really like it because for me it all comes down to like if i can use like the wall and something else to hold on to just because my balance isn't that great and plus totally. i just need to be able to sit down every once in a while like on something soft like my bed or a totally. couch or something and just catch my breath so doing it in a yoga studio where like there wasn't there was literally just like a mat in the middle of this room yeah i didn't really like it totally so you, you tried it and you're like eh, not for me but if yeah. i can do it at home yeah all for me yeah so i got i had dvds that i had bought before so i started using those and I eventually, I started off doing like one 40-minute session a day, and then it was like one 40-minute, and then one 30-minute cool down. And then it would be like one 40-minute, one 30-minute, one 40-minute after that. Then it would be like two 40-minutes, a 30-minute, and then a 40-minute. So eventually I was doing like three and four hours of yoga a day. That's badass. It was obviously helping your mental, mm-hmm. and it was helping your physical, mm-hmm. and... Uh, everything is kind of starting to feel like we're on a decent path right now. Mm-hmm. Is there a big derailment coming that I'm not aware of that's like in this last little section here? Because I feel like there is, right? Kind of. We're, we're, we're Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, so I, in December of 2015, we went to go see my surgeon out in Seattle, who I never really liked just because... I mean, he had done two of my surgeries when I was out in Seattle, actually. Yeah. He had done like a debridement and a washout because the infection had gotten so bad while I was out in Seattle that he needed to do those types of surgeries for me. Um, but I never really liked him that much. But so we went to go see him on, is it, what, what's the day that Pearl Harbor happened? Wasn't that in like December? Or oh, uh, December 8th, 1941. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 
nerd yeah. <laughs> oops uh, so we went to go see him on that day oh, not not 1941 i, I but, got you yeah. you did not time travel for no reason <laughs> yeah. unnecessary step so we went to go see him on december 8th 2015 and my mom was like can you do anything for her she was like she wants to be able to walk again hopefully she was like she wants to be able to hopefully you know have a life outside of just this hospital visits and pain yeah. medications yeah yeah well i wasn't on pain medicine at oh, this that's, time. yeah that's right that's right my bad so he was like no he was like unfortunately no there's nothing that i can see happening so we left there that day and my mom was like we're gonna move home she was like dr peabody will know what to do so I love that your doctor's name is actually Dr. Peabody and I that's know. not a joke. I know. Like it's great. <laughs> okay, so continue. Sorry. He, he she she's like fuck this noise, fuck everything else. You're my girl. I got to get you home. We're going to get you the best care. Your doctor will know what's coming. How mm-hmm. can we get around this? Mhm. So you guys just in a short span packed up and went or was this uh I mean, was it a quick turnaround from the time you saw him to the time you would see Dr. Peabody? Um, I mean, that happened in December of 2015. By February of 2016, I was home. So, yeah, this happened very fast. Damn. Like, my mom just kind of got ready and she just moved home. So, from there, originally, well, all this time, I still had an infection in my hip. I was still taking antibiotics every day, like, prophylactically to, like, prevent any infection from like bubbling up or spreading further yeah totally but i was still taking amoxicillin every day to like make sure that the infection didn't come back isn't there like a really bad side effect from long-term amoxicillin use i'm not sure maybe there's a different medication i'm thinking of that has something in it that starts with an a that's like an antibodies thing that long-term has a bad effect for you but anyways continue sorry sorry so i moved home And um, I went to go see Dr. Peabody first, and he told me, he was like, he he basically told me what my other doctor told me, which was that, no, there wasn't really anything we could do. But I didn't really care that much because it was Dr. Peabody. You're like, okay, I can take the news from you. Yeah. Hearing it from you solidifies that that at least I know the truth and there's no other option, at least. Yeah, at least right now. Yeah, totally. So then from there, I went to go see this other doctor in May of 2016. His name was Dr. Conrad. He worked out of this smaller hospital in Chicago called Weiss Memorial. He was a real prick. I love that. He's a real prick. (laughs) He was just very cocky. And I mean, I guess he had reason to be. He came up with this like cool like cup cage system like for like people that like needed like really like serious hip replacements that like basically like had like a metal implant and then it had like screws that went out from like the metal and it like went into like the pelvis and all that. So it sounded like something that would work for me. But he told me that with my infection in my hip as it was, that nothing could help me. Again, nothing can be done unless the infection's gone. Mm -hmm. Well, the news there obviously gives you this avenue of like, well, then let's fucking get rid of this infection first and then go from there, right? Mm -hmm. So did you go back to Dr. Peabody and get yourself on the path of like getting the infection gone? Kind of. I mean, from there, I feel like I had an appointment with him in like the first two weeks of June. And he told me basically what the other doctor told me. He was like, he's like, I'll always 
have my ear to the ground for you. He was like, you know, I'll obviously always be thinking of you when it comes to like if anything new comes out or anything like that. But he's like, unfortunately, now there's nothing that I can do. So where does that take us then? If Because, again, I don't feel like we're done here. I feel like this is we're just like walking in this big field that has lots of landmines. So what's what's around the corner here? In Ju- you're June into July of 2016 now, I mm-hmm. believe, is where we're at. Um, what what comes next? Um, from there, I met this guy. Okay. And um, we kind of started having a little bit of a thing. And then the infection in my hip came back. And you were like, okay, it's bad this time, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, something has to be done. We have to m- make a move because it's past. We can just kind of bide our time with this thing. It's spreading, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. What did they, did they go in and go for like another cleaning or whatnot, like you were saying? or is this... No, they went in and they removed it all. Wow. I don't have a hip on my left side anymore. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's fully gone. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Um, and then there's no, there's, there's nothing at the, oh, Jesus. I about like smacked my face. <laughs> so there's like nothing at this point that they have that can alter that, I guess. No. Damn. So that's a new adjustment, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's like right before I met you. Mm-hmm. We're like almost, so when did the, when did the surgery for the, the removal of your hip happen? Let's see. I turned 25 on or turned 26 on June 25th and by July 18th it was removed entirely that's when my surgery was done or maybe it was July 19th I can't remember but yeah so it was all in a period of like three weeks I remember I spent the 4th of July that year so sick in the hospital that's awful uh you're in the hospital and you get the, the surgery done again road to recovery you have to go through the same tedious bullshit i feel like you've gone through so many times that it's yeah i've taught myself to walk maybe like five or six times in my whole life damn i i guess you can literally be the person that is the definitive learning how to walk before you learn to crawl or whatever because you had to kind of throw yourself in the fire and really just go fuck it i'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. like i have to learn uh so how long is the recovery process out of the surgery into being able to to walk on your own and drive on your own and like uh, the now the new norm um i had like s- four five maybe six weeks of at-home physical therapy i was on intravenous antibiotics to kill the infection the 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 infection that had come back and then also somewhat of a new infection that i had developed oh, no yeah so now you're fighting two infections mm-hmm. was that like um you know, like, did you at that point finally, like, throw your hands up and go, what else the fuck are you going to throw at me? Because, like, you, you're you clearing one infection. They're like, hey, by the way, you actually have another one, and we've got to deal with that, too, now. Did that mm-hmm. slow down recovery then as well? Um, Somewhat. I mean, it all just came down to finding the right antibiotic for me because they originally, they originally had me on, what the fuck was it called? Um, they gave it to me originally when I had... My first few surgeries, I forget what it's called. It starts with a V maybe, but that didn't work for this type of infection. This infection was very rare and 
they they needed they needed to try a different kind of antibiotic so they tried everything they could on me they eventually found one antibiotic that would work it's called doxycycline and that's what they put me on intravenously in the hospital my doctor told me he's like if you don't have this surgery he's like you're gonna die whoa so it was really seriously like no joke life or death in that moment Mm -hmm. uh 26 year old kid i mean we're even i'm i'm only 30 but i still feel as like a kid mm-hmm. what does that do to you hearing like this like you've already been through a cancer that could have killed you and and almost ODing on pain medications that could have killed you but this is someone telling you like hey this is bad was that like i don't i don't even know how to quantify what i want to ask you in this moment because it's such a like i don't even know how to i don't even know how to place myself in your shoes in that moment but like, did you just like buck up and say, fuck it, let's get shit done? Or was it like a... I mean, at that point, it was kind of just like me looking at my mom and my mom being like, you're not going to not say yes to this. And I was just like, I don't really have a choice. It was yeah. like, either do this or lay here and die. Mm. So even though I didn't want to, I had to. You're the, you're the fucking most survivingest motherfucker I've ever had on this show. <laughs> like, I have to give you nothing but mad respect because... <laughs> Again, the most gangster thing. You're like, okay, I'm going to go through it. And it's probably a painful thing to deal with having to rehab, having your hip removed and, and, and already Plus having... Plus there wasn't a lot of literature or a lot of people that I could go to that were like my age and who had gone through the same thing as me. So no one is like a person you can confide in that understands the struggles you're going through during those situations. I can't even... I can't. Again, I can't quantify what that must have been like. But it's crazy because like you're in this situation and I kind of learned about you in, I would say, April of 2017 probably was the first time I heard the name Lauren Million in my Mm -hmm. in my ear hole. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And I just I had seen a couple pictures on Facebook or whatever. And Veronica had mentioned she was mutual friends with Olivia, who was your friend. And she was like, this girl, Lauren, she seems cool. She seems like even look, even though you don't even know people, you're making friends because Veronica's (laughs) like, I'm going to be her friend. I was like, good on you. Like, fuck yeah, that's cool, you know. And then like you came around and I was like, we should definitely have her around. She's a fucking cool person. I get why you make friends so easy because you are definitely an infectious spirit to be around. I think you... You carry yourself very well for someone who's been through the kind of shit you've been through. Like, really, you could be very doom and gloom and always thinking the absolute worst. But I think you have a little bit of a a better perspective on that than most people. Like, you've seen the literal worst. Like, so what? Like, you survived it all, you know? And that's and that's amazing. So you get out of the surgery. You get recovered. What's the first walk this time and the first drive and all your first this time like? Because it's obviously totally different than before. It's not a replacement. This is a new territory. Mm-hmm. Totally. I had to use crutches for the first like eight weeks. So that was hard. I don't like crutches. No, they suck. Mm-hmm. Fucking hurt your armpits. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate them. You can't even adjust them right. Like, I've never even had crutches, but I played on my friend's crutches. And I'm like, nope, I'm so glad I've been fortunate enough to not, like, have any leg breaks or anything, you know? Um, So you hate the crutches for the first eight weeks. Then they go, hey, it's time to go ahead and move into a cane? Or did you move to walkers? Or what Um, was the... I was basically on crutches 
because the walker it was just really hard to like get in and out of my car yeah the crutches were a lot easier to like maneuver on mm-hmm. so of course i want the crutches as opposed to a walker plus crutches you know are a little bit cooler than a walker for someone as young as me totally yeah totally understandable um but yeah, so I, I, well, originally I've, I've been using the cane to get around ever since I had my stroke. I mean, originally I was using the walker to get around at home and then I had at-home physical therapy after the stroke and I was using a four-pronged cane to get around the house. Sometimes, sometimes my mom would insist on me using the walker in the house, but for the most part, I tried to use the cane as much as I could just because I felt better using Did you have that? Is that the same one you had when we met? Mm-hmm. Um, that has some history. It's mm-hmm. been around. Uh, didn't you lose it? Yeah, in That's Chinatown. so unfortunate. That's such an unfortunate... What was that like? I mean, that this is a little t- tiny side tangent that's not that important to your story, but you drive home and yeah. you realize... You don't have your fucking cane. Mm-hmm. Did you just go, like, motherfucker? Like, yeah. of course. Especially because I like that cane. It had my doctor's name on it, Doctor Peabody. It had his oh, name on man. it. On a little, on a little, little sticker on the bottom. Now it's probably already been sold like three times over and deep in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. You know, or somebody's actually maybe using it. Maybe yeah. it was some sort of weird unintentional. But you know, you had said that that was one of the issues with that cane is that you could easily leave it because mm-hmm. you could just set it down. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it, it can stand on its own, and that the the new digs that you have, you have to lean, so you notice mm-hmm. that's my fucking thing. I need. Yeah, I'm not gonna forget that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, so then we kind of fast forward and jump into I meet you, and kind of to that June July of 2017, we meet, and then now you're on the podcast network doing mm-hmm. doing work. Um, I feel like your story is absolutely incredible. I feel like you could talk in detail more about some of the more refined things that are within the story. We just kind of like got the big overview of your, of your story, but I feel like there's a lot more stuff that probably really happened deep in the inside of all this. So one thing I want to ask before we get out of here, cause everybody's going to be like, what the fuck? You didn't finish that story up. I want to know Val what's up with her. Like, do you guys have a reconnect after the disconnect or was it some time apart that just made things better? Um, Time apart. Honestly, she still lives out in Seattle. She has a boyfriend who plays rugby. That's cool. Yeah, they've been dating for maybe like um, a year this August. Maybe two years this August. I don't know. I haven't been out there. But um, I see her when she comes home for 4th of July and when she comes home for Christmas and that's it. So you guys have been able to rebond everything and like things are definitely different now and level-headed Are you still doing yoga i try to do yoga i can't do as much as i used to before i had the surgery just because my doctor told me he was like one of the side effects or one of the negatives to the surgery is like you're just not going to be able you're just not going to have the energy that you used to have and i've definitely noticed that i don't know if it's just me getting older or if it's a combination of me getting older and the physical side effects that come along with the surgery. I used to be able to, I mean, even a year ago, I could stay out until like three or four in the morning, drink 
that's just a normal age thing. I promise. Like okay. even even same, even same. <laughs> like I used to be able to pull all night ragers and like twenty six happened. And get up and get up and go to work. It, like it's nothing. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. I would like no, that's no. not happening. Rob did that. We had a show this past weekend. He worked Saturday morning at five AM until like three in the afternoon. Then he came over. We went to the show. We played at one in the morning. We didn't get home till three in the morning. He worked at five in the morning. He did not sleep. He went right to work and fucking worked the oh whole God, next day at Whole awful. Foods. Yeah. And he's like 37. So I'm like, no, I can't do that now. <laughs> no. What are you doing to yourself, man? Like, that's an energy killer. But uh, before we go, I also always like to do a little spot where I feel like if there's anything we didn't cover, a question I might have missed, something that was important within the story that we didn't get to, now would be the time to bring that up. Is there anything you think that was major that we, we missed? No, nothing. I mean, I guess there's one question I do have, mm-hmm. and maybe this is a rabbit hole, and maybe we can, like, tangent this into another conversation we'll have in the future. In all the things you've experienced and everything you've gone through, religion, is that something that ever held weight with you, or was it pretty much dismissed as soon as the real shit happened when you're 12 years old and the universe fucked you, I mean, essentially. I remember when I first came back to St. Mary's when I had just gotten over having cancer. I went through a little bit of a religious period. Okay. By the time I was like a freshman in high school, I was kind of over it. Yeah. It just hadn't do- really done anything for you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I, I, I'm... It's good to know that you didn't like go down like a crazy rabbit hole of like you know, getting pulled into something that wasn't for you and that like really fucked you up. Uh, Cause that can happen, man, with religion. It's terrifying. It's one of the few things on this earth I like am fearful of is the idea of religion. Cause it starts wars and it kills people and people think that it's noble and right for their God to do a thing. And I'm like, there, if there's so many gods, like, can't we all just agree that they're not the one like that picture posted on my Facebook the other day when your mom asked where all your faith in God went science, science, <laughs> Science tells us, man. Science tells us the facts. Uh, but uh, if there's nothing left, then I think we're going to wrap this episode of The Voice Survival. Before we go, as always, listen to the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com, where you can find The Voice of Survival and all of our other shows, like Foodies Watching Movies. That's one yes. you're on. We're going to be recording yes. this weekend. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some food. Yeah, hopefully. Not hot dogs. Hot, Not hot dogs. Not hot dogs. Not picks in a blanket either. Oh, that's still hot dogs. Yeah, I know. That's still hot dogs. <laughs> Just hot dogs in a different format. No dogs. <laughs> no doggos. We're not doing it. Uh, all right. So, uh, as always, check us out on all the different podcasting platforms, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Uh, also, go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics. Give us a dollar. Get exclusive or early access. Give us three bucks. Get the exclusive content and the early access. That means as soon as we're done editing... You're getting the episode in your hands. People are going to listen to this like a day early because I'm going to get it up tonight because it was a fucking awesome conversation. I've been so excited <laughs> to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me to have you on because I was like, I'm not sure if Lauren would be into doing that kind of a thing. And you were like, you want to have me on the voice of survival? And I was like, perfect. That's the perfect thing. We're going to do it. And I'm so glad we did. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, as always, folks, I'm Nate, the voice of survival, and we will see you guys next time.